Good evening. How are we both? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, firstly, thank you very much for, for both of you for your time, for joining me this evening. Um, really glad to have a chat to you both about performance analysis and, and like coding and all that kind of good stuff, which uh, some coaches I think use pretty well and others meh, maybe need to do a little bit better. But uh, first off, uh, who are you and what do you do? So Amber, my, you can go first. Oh, oh, I was going anyway. My name is Amber. I'm the performance analyst for Great Britain and England Hockey. Um, and I also am a technical lead for the English Institute of Sport as well, which I do one day a week. Mm-hmm. And Emma? My name is Emma. I am performance analyst um, with England and Great Britain Hockey and also um, Great Britain Climbing, um, of which I do part-time for both roles. So... I mean, they're pretty cool jobs. I'm not going to lie. Like, being involved in sport every day, traveling the world, doing some pretty cool stuff. Like, that sounds like an absolute dream job. So, like, how did you both get into it? So, like, Amber, how did you get into analysis and how long have you kind of been involved with GB Hockey? Yeah, so I initially started out um, studying sports science and I didn't really, at that point, um, have... An, an awareness that I wanted to be an analyst. I think don't be fooled by the baby face. I probably was at uni quite a while ago <laughs> when it wasn't quite, um, something that was um, was so apparent like it is now. There weren't really many courses specifically in performance analysis like there are now. Um, so all I knew at that point was that I wanted to work in elite sport. Um, actually in football was is kind of where I grew up and that was my sport growing up. So that's where I wanted to be. Um, so I, I did an internship as a sports scientist for a football club and that kind of entailed um, a few different things. So a bit of strength and conditioning, a bit of analysis, a bit of nutrition, kind of um, dip to toe in, in every area. And that's really where I thought actually analysis is um, something that cool. seemed, seemed of real interest. Um, and at uni, I specialised in biomechanics. So kind of the, the numbers and the maths around that um, kind of lend itself quite nicely yeah. Um, so from uni, I then stepped into having now an awareness that I wanted to try and be an analyst. Um, I went to work for a, a football club as an analyst. I started off at, at Reading um, as an intern and then subsequently then managed to um, get a job with them working in their first team. Um, so I was there for there for two seasons and then found myself falling into, into hockey, which <laughs> I've now been in for um, about five and a half years. So that's that's a pretty cool journey and biomechanics was my love at uni as well so I can definitely see how the transition from biomechanics into uh, into the analysis stuff. Uh, em, how did you get into it? Um, it's similar to number really. Um, I did sports science at uni. Um, my background was in um, swimming. I was a swimmer for many years and kind of knew that I wanted to work in sport Um whether it be swimming, whatever sort of NPB that kind of route took me. Um, I then went straight out of uni, went to work for England Hockey um, in the talent development department and really enjoyed it. Um, then uh, started volunteering um, because I didn't want my Saturdays uh, with bedding <laughs> the local Premier League team um, and was kind of taught how to loosely do video analysis, bit of coding. Um and was there for 
a year and then I decided with my sort of with my job I kind of got to a crossroads and thought I'd want a bit more challenge um I knew Amber through the office and our love of tea um <laughs> she, she said uh, we've got a nice little studentship um and would that you know and I so I applied was successful um and that sort of took me down this journey and now I'm three years with hockey um and then oh. a year ago um got the role with climbing um so kind of dovetailed with my part-time role within hockey um yeah so I'm a little bit more um youthful in my narcissist journey compared to Amber. <laughs> um oh, steady yeah, still, still loving <laughs> um so I'm gonna ask a fairly obvious question um and I'm kind of keen to hear both of your answers like what is performance analysis because that is quite a broad topic and I and I guess some people will have an idea of what it is but like what is it um okay so it's essentially um making observations that enhance performance and improve decision making um through the use of data analysis so objective stats um and visual feedback using video so it's a combination of the two um and some might lie more heavily in in the video analysis section depending on um your athletes and your coach some might be a bit more data driven um but there usually is a is a combination of the two in some aspect so yeah an example of that um where with hockey it might be um particularly with my two roles um with hockey it might lie a little bit more in the kind of video side um at times um but then something like climbing i probably do a lot significantly less video work than um probably the more objective statistical data side um crunching numbers so that's probably a bit of an example and uh, yeah so this kind of leads me on to my next bit what would you say like the main differences are between kind of working in PA in individual sports versus kind of team sports and I guess that kind of falls to Emma first and and Amber I'd like to kind of hear the differences between maybe football and hockey after so Emma what what would you say the main differences are? Um, For me mine's been um, between my two sports have been a lot about um, obviously you're focusing on team performance so um, getting sort of individuals to learn or improving their sport is one thing but actually um trying to get a group of individuals to develop um can often entail different things um so i suppose a team focus and particularly within my role with the elite development squads they um there is that individual focus of um improving my skills individually um as a player um but also collective learning um so i guess it's things that kind of improve performance in that sense um but they will look really different for different sports. So my role in climbing will is, although it's an individual sport, um, other individual sports like combat sports might look, the provision might look really different. Um, so it's quite sport specific. Okay. And then Amber, what would you say kind of difference are between kind of provision for, for football and the, and the provision for hockey? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably the reason I ended up um, falling into hockey was because of the fact that there was a lot of transferable skills between um, football and hockey and um, kind of the structures of the sports are are similar. Um, I think the the main thing is probably from um, 
there's quite a cultural difference in how analysis is used in football than it is in hockey. Um, quite often, analysts that actually in football will will pull together quite a lot of the briefings um, and those those clips that then the management style will look at it and change and, and add some bits in before they then play to the coach uh, play to the athletes. Whereas um, in in hockey. Um, the coaches take quite a lot of ownership of that kind of let's find some subjective clips. Um, and I guess really it's more, I say resourcing in the sense that um, there often are more analysts for one team, but that isn't to say that the workload is like, I didn't work less in hockey, in football, um, yeah. because there was more of us. It's just, it was a different thing and we had different areas that we focused on. So um, I think you get, I guess a little bit different in your workflows because you know there's you, so you you are quite targeted to. I only have resource and capacity to do this one thing or these couple of things very well. Um, so they're probably where the differences lie. Um, but like I said, I think I still worked exactly the same kind of um, workload. They were just they just look look different because of the resources you have available to you. Um, football and rugby get um, external companies that can give them some data. So potentially their longitudinal data sets might look different to the types of things we can do in hockey because the only data we get in hockey is what we can collect ourselves, which maybe might be might be limited. But as I said, the more data you have, the more questions you have and the more things you can answer. So yeah. there's not really one or the other that kind of is an easier ride as such. They're just slightly different. And, I, and again, I guess that side of things le- means that some people might think a performance analyst is they stand on a towel with a camera, film, press finish, job done, see you later, I'll have a cup of tea. But that, that's far from the case. So what kind of things, and obviously can't go into too much detail, but what kind of things do you think, uh, well, what kind of things are you really kind of doing when you're not stood up in the tower in the, in the delightful British weather? Now, that bit's the easy bit for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think where we've tried to get to is um, optimizing what our live training and match coding looks like. Like I said, more from more from a resource point of view. Um, we've taken quite, a, or I've certainly taken quite a big journey in hockey. When I started, I probably didn't code that much live in training or um, in matches, but I'd spend quite a long time afterwards going back through different clips and labeling it and giving it more context. Um, which would then be the foundation of what our reports and information to the coaches would be. Um, but after realising kind of different workflows and the, as you um, move along your journey and speak to different people, you pick up different tips. So the bulk of it now actually is done live. Um, so that that means that the um, kind of the processing power is done and therefore I have a little bit more time to actually digest the information, find some trends and actually pull out the information for, for coaches that are really directed towards what we're looking for. Um, yeah. So it's, it's amazing. You, you, you often think when you're not at training or you're not, you're, they're not playing a match, what are you doing? But we have a whole host of the opposition that we need to keep a track on. We need to get footage of them. We need to code it. We need to um, update that database we're constantly developing and changing and adjusting what our reports look like to optimize what it's being delivered and how the coaches are using it um, and, and how we translate that into performance on the pitch. So there's an awful lot of background kind of workflow development um, 
and, and information digesting that usually you don't get a bust a lot of time to do. Um, mm. So trying to get as much done live to maximize the opportunity of looking at trends um, to, to find some answers is probably where we sit now. Yeah. And then, so then, Em, I guess on your side of things with climbing versus hockey, I guess on the climbing side, you're not going to be really going to all the competitions and stuff. So your stuff, I guess, is then purely based away from there. So kind of home-based. So what does that kind of workflow look like compared to then hockey? Um, Yeah, climbing's been really interesting um, because it's a new sport for Tokyo. Um, So they had a couple of years um, and it's a new discipline for climbing. So climbing's based of Sport climbing is based on three disciplines, um, speed, lead and boulder. And traditionally you compete um, in one um, and sometimes athletes will compete in lead and boulder together. Um, speed is um, slightly different. You've probably seen the kind of Spider-Man videos of people racing at walls. Um, so there's the kind of two and then one set on the side. Um, but traditionally the, there will be just single disciplines. So all the world championships are single discipline. Um, but for Tokyo to get it into the Olympics, the Federation agreed to have a combined event, which um, you would compete in all three and then your um, ranking would be multiplied and whoever had the lowest ranking would win. So it's been about kind of exploring what that means um, mm-hmm. for the athletes um, and how how to win. Um, and then kind of, so breaking it down from a, a new event point of view, um, none of the climbers in the world will have competed in all three disciplines um, for a long period of time, certainly not to win a major championships. Um, so it's it's just been about trying to learn um, and answer as many kind of performance questions from the coaches as possible um, on that kind of journey. So initially um, it was before any athletes had qualified. So you had that kind of qualification process. Um, nice, nice relaxing time when there's no yeah, athletes yeah. qualified yet. <laughs> yeah, it was very really great. Um, trying to, yeah, trying to work out kind of, um, so the criteria, there were various qualifying events, um, a lot of it based on rankings. So kind of how many points did you have? What did that mean for your performance? Um, yeah, loads, you know, what, how many events could you compete in, but also kind of balancing, are you going to get injured and all those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, a lot of just trying to learn about a new sport, trying to get as much data as we can. Um, because we were starting from absolute zero, nice blank piece of paper. Because you were the, one of the, well, one of, if not the first analyst in climbing. Yeah, I don't know because I haven't spoken to anyone who works for any other nation. But um, from what coaches say, I think we're probably um, looking at stuff that maybe other people are looking at, aren't looking at, don't know. Um, but anything that can can kind of give us a bit of a performance edge, um, hopefully, will be beneficial. Um, so yeah, that's quite exciting. That's cool. Um, so my next question really, so you guys have collected all this data, you've either been to the tournaments or you've got the data from tournaments or, or whatever, you've got these huge data sets and all these video and everything else. How do you then present that back to coaches? Cause coaches and analysts are two very different things. So how do you present that data and, and what kind of processes 
are, would you kind of recommend for maybe somebody starting out in analysis or, or whatever? So yeah, how do you present back to the coaches? Uh, so I guess there's multiple different ways you can present stuff back and often it does dictate what kind of software you've got because some platforms offer different options to others. Um, but I guess if we're just looking at really what that um, analyst-coach relationship or kind of actually delivering um, a message, it has to be a two-way process, um, often driven by a coach but influenced by an analyst um, because at the end of the day, whatever we're delivering um, needs to be digestible and, and hit home to a coach so they can use it to inform their decisions and, and change training or um, maybe a structure of how we're going to go against an opposition. Um, so I think it's often quite easy for us to sit in our bubble and say, oh, this is what we, we think it should look like. But we really need to have that dialogue with the coaches um, and understand what they would want. Um, and sometimes, like, like all of us, we don't know what we don't know. So sometimes we, we might produce something and say, what do you think of this? It may land, it may not. But that constant feedback and dialogue eventually gets you to a position where you have a workflow and an output that, that does the trick and does what, what is necessary. Um, so we have a couple of, a couple of options. We've um, often sat, as most people do, with just here's a, here's a PDF report of statistics and it might benchmark that match against what our normal averages are to give us a little bit of an idea as to how we have done in, in that game. Um, because we use sports code, we can um, have output reports that actually allow us to link the statistics to the videos. That adds another bit of context, which is useful. Um, and then there's other different um, types of um, visualization tools like Tableau or Power BI, which actually can, can allow things to be slightly more dynamic than what a flat report would look like in a PDF format. Um, but it really depends where, I guess, the coaches are in their analysis journey as well. I was um, going to say, so there's got to be a bit of an education both ways, because obviously, the coach, like you say, you don't know what you don't know as, and as, as an analyst, but as a coach, I don't know a lot. I know a reasonable amount, but I don't know anywhere near what you two would know. So how do you then upskill educating the coach and how's that journey been? Yeah, I think for me, what often, um, I guess what I've, I've certainly learned early on in my career, um, thinking that more is better and actually I'm just going to give you everything I can do because I want to show you that I'm a good analyst. So here's everything. Um, and we all go through that. And even now I probably still do that because obviously you, you want to have the most impact as you can. Um, but quite often, simple things done well are the most effective. Um, and sometimes um, having something really stripped back and just highlighting those key themes of what we were looking to do in that game and giving them a good reference and a benchmark as to actually have we made improvements in that or have we not, um, sometimes can lead to the most informative conversations. Um, yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, so I certainly, I guess, to, to start with would... First of all, try and understand exactly what you're trying to achieve with it. Like, what do you want that to be saying? Um, and if it is just a load of numbers, where where do you think the coach? What do you think the coach is picking out from that? It has to tell a story, and it has to the the bits that they want to see or are the most important things need to pop. They need to be obvious. Um, so yeah, first of all, find out what you actually are trying to achieve. Like, 
what, what's, the, what's the purpose of it, which sometimes can get a bit lost because you just throw everything in. Um, and I think once you get to a point where you, you know what you're trying to achieve, you can then start asking questions of yourself on how the best way is to visualize that. And do I just need a number or do I need to link that with video um, and how to go about those things? So definitely having a clear purpose will allow you to achieve something far greater than kind of just everything in the melting pot and see what it looks like. <laughs> and then so obviously then that's good if you've got kind of kind of historical background you can be like okay well, we've maybe done these things before but let's try and look at these and when you were when as you're with climbing and there's nothing before what's that relationship like with between you and kind of coaching staff and performance directors and things like that and how how is that then different um yeah, it was an interesting time, um, pretty much sort of doing a project and not knowing kind of what we wanted to achieve, but not knowing um, really the kind of um, preferences of, you know, visual, like learning preferences, how how the coaches or any other staff had preferred to receive things. Um, I think building off what Amber said, it, knowing how to kind of land that message of delivering um analysis in the way that people are kind of comfortable with um sort of comes down to your building your relationships with those people and trying to understand where they're coming from um and what they've learned and what you can teach them or or, or how you can upskill them or if they even need upskilling um i was quite lucky in that um the coach that i primarily work with um absolutely loves data um so actually after a bit of time um trying to trust myself and kind of what I was delivering um, but also um, really trying to quite quickly um, see what he his kind of preferences were um, that was the, the way I approached it um, it's not it's never particularly easy um, with a new coach or staff or players or you know a new sport um, because yeah you, you just don't you don't know what you don't mm. know um, you can for me I just kind of base it off principles of, that we've been working on and obviously you know too much kind of overwhelm people and you kind of start with um little bits or little bits that you that you know they've talked about um you know key stats that they might have mentioned in conversation and you can pick up on on things that might hook them in a little bit to try and help you tell that story um but yeah it's it's a learning process for sure and i think probably amber would agree however many years in you get you would still be learning how to um tailor your analysis or your reports or your approach to to your coaches and your players or athletes i think the yeah. common theme that kind of came across both of you then it's one i like the, the telling the story i think that's really that's a really nice way to put it and actually something which i've not heard before but and actually it makes complete sense you are telling a story and and if you tell it in the wrong way the coach isn't gonna get what you're trying to get trying to get across so I, I really like that and I think that's a good little takeaway and the other thing is that the relationship is really important so if you haven't got that relationship you can't help or influence as much as maybe you would like and they they then probably can't get the best out of you um when how important then is that kind of trust element and being fully integrated into the side like that must be huge 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it is in any role in any team, really, if you're going to have maximum impact um, and you work so closely with people that you need to kind of have that common goal and, and that, that, that sort of element of being able to um, to talk to each other and be open and honest about things. Um, I don't know whether this is just my perception of coaches or whether it's true, but I often think sometimes when I look back at some of the work I did a few, a few years ago um, and I wonder how much a coach was just knew how much effort I put into something and didn't quite want to say, do you know what? I don't use that page. Like, <laughs> I don't use that. Um, because, because, you know, people, obviously we, we create good relationships with people, but actually, you know, being able to just say, does this land for you? If it doesn't absolutely tell me, because my number one goal is to get to a point where this is as effective as possible. Um, I don't think I will ever get to a point and I haven't yet of being an analyst for nearly eight years I've never got to a point where I've gone, that's the finished article. That's, that's it done. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be, I have been tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and recreating and re- rebuilding because things move on, people change, new skills come in um, and you're never going to have the finished finish version. And as long as you're prepared to have an open and honest conversation with a coach and be aware that, you know what, some things won't land and you will be told that idea yeah. I don't like. And that is fine. That is actually okay. It might feel uncomfortable the first couple of times it happens, um, but it happens to everyone. It doesn't mean that that necessarily was a bad idea. It might just mean that for that coach in particular, that doesn't work. So Mm. everybody learns differently. Everybody views things differently. And a bar graph for one coach might absolutely work. But for another, it might not land. And it's actually saying the same message. The data is the same. It's just how we're displaying it. And understanding how well um, a certain type of visual works for one coach and for how it works for another allows you to really tailor what your reports are saying to, to optimise the person that's reading it. Yeah. Um, so you guys are obviously working at the very top end. Uh, you're kind of on the, the cutting edge. Amber, you've, you, know, you may have won some little tournament, you know, been at some major games and got a gold medal. We don't like to talk about it, but, you know may have won an Olympic gold medal. We have a star in our midst. Um, oh, it certainly wasn't me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, what advice would you give to to somebody who's thinking, actually, you know what, this looks really interesting and I'd like to get, I'd like to get stuck into this. Like, or maybe somebody who's just started like, doing a bit of analysis at club level, in like rugby, football, hockey, whatever, and they're kind of wanting to do more. Like, what would your advice be? I think just try and get as much sort of experience as possible in terms of like different experience. Like a lot of, a lot of analysts have all gone through a similar journey. We've had to do an internship. We've had to try and, and someone at some point has said, you know what, I'm going to take a risk on you. Like, like Danny Gary did with me. Um, I came from football. I knew nothing about hockey. Um, and someone took a risk. And I think if you can get as much experience as possible in different areas, one, you pick up ideas because there's a thousand ways to skin a cat um, and you pick up different ideas. And the more you learn from different people, the more you understand that there are different ways of doing things that are maybe more effective than what you've currently got in your locker. Um, And also it will teach you uh, a little bit about whether you really want to do it because there are some incredible, incredible highs of being an analyst and working in elite sport. But as with every job, there's there's consulate as well. Um, uh, M M will vouch for this when we go away on tournaments and we're up the tower. 
Um, for example, we take Rio, for example. It was the most incredible experience. And yes, we won a gold medal and that will be forever one of the biggest memories of my career or my personal life. But I spent that entire time with the opposition analysts more than I did my own team because that's the reality of the role we play. Um, and more often than not, again, M will, M will see this as well. We're stuck up a tower when people are celebrating on the pitch and we're just trying to get down from the scaffold. Um, yeah. You know, and you are kind of, albeit you are involved in the team, but you play quite a, a different role. And um, I don't think for the month I was at Rio, I had more than four hours sleep a night. Um, and it was, you know, absolutely worth it. Don't get me wrong, but there are, there are obviously with everything pros and, pros and cons to it, but... Yeah. And what would your one piece of advice be? Um, I probably learned this one from Amber, to be fair. Um, but I think if I could tell myself this, I mean, even a, even yesterday or, you know, three years ago, um, like making mistakes is without a doubt the best way that you're going to learn. And it's OK. Um, stuff will break and it will rain <laughs> when it doesn't rain your laptop will crash or whatever happens um but the more that happens um annoyingly um because it will keep happening um and the more that you slightly get things wrong or miss the boat or whatever the, the more you will learn and the better you will become because of it um and i think as horrible as it is to be comfortable with those things um being comfortable with it that that is okay and that will make you better um yeah I, I still have to tell myself it's okay to make mistakes um because it's just so long as you learn from them um but you that will make you if you want to become an analyst um much better so after the advice then what would you say then uh we'll start with amber what is your most uh your highlight moment from your analysis career your um, fondest memory an obvious one is uh, when the women won gold at Rio. Um, but because that's so obvious, one, one experience that really, um, really made me feel valued and made me love my job and the people I work with was the Europeans 2017. Um, like I alluded to, sometimes we don't make it down to the pitch for that big last huddle and celebration. Um, and this happened to be where the players walk, the players and staff walked up the steps to get their medals. It was a little bit Champions League-like, uh, which doesn't happen <laughs> often. Um, and it was in Holland and the crowd was so busy and I couldn't get through. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, selfishly, I'm like, oh, I'm missing kind of that moment that we've worked hard for. Um, and our, our team captain um, basically got off the, off the um, stadium, looked around, um, and ran back up the stairs to ask for another medal and the broadcast cameras are following her because media want requests and things and even the commentators are like, what, what's she doing? Um, and essentially she'd realised that I wasn't wasn't there and she made sure that she went and got a medal and Aww. as soon as I finally managed to get to the pitch, um, she she put it around my neck and, and all the girls gave, gave me a hug and that for me is probably, that probably is as equal um to winning gold from a real kind of like personal emotional sense in that you know you realize that you you sometimes feel quite distant and in the background but they definitely realize the impact that you have um, and the help you've given to them and, and everybody to get to to win a medal. Em what's yours? Um, I think my 
I've got two because I'm indecisive and I can't choose. Um, <laughs> Shock. <laughs> <laughs> one is is really similar to Amber's. Um, it was the second year that I'd worked with the elite development program then and we were in Joe Hall which was the second time I've been in Joe Hall first time was probably what felt like a week into my studentship um knowing nothing at that point um but we had the first year we'd cut that I was with them we'd come second um we'd won every game in the tournament um but come second um obviously we lost the last game um you can edit that bit out <laughs> um, <laughs> and the second year we um won in what feels like a really close final as they all probably do um and obviously I was still filming um at the time that they'd won straight after the game and um because there's not really any tv footage for this for my squads I was kind of zooming in to try and get everyone's celebration um and I hadn't realized but they all all the as I started to film the staff, all of the players started to run up to the tower, well, to the pitch in front of the tower and just clap me, um, which was really nice because it had been, it was the start of my um, role as an EIS, con- um, what's the word? Employee. Um, and, and kind of the end of my studentship. So it was actually really nice um, having had a bit of time off and then came back um, and then probably my second highlight was um, last summer at the European Championship, the European Junior Championships um, for the under 21s, where I was with the men again, with England men. And we um, had a difficult group. They were always really close. Um, and we'd had quite a difficult summer and quite a hard lead in to the tournament. Um, results hadn't really gone our way. Um, so it was a bit kind of nervy going into it. Um, and there's qualification for junior world cup on the line um so quite tense um and just the whole kind of week of the tournament um kind of a win rolled into another win and a draw at the right time and then suddenly we'd made it to the semi-finals and um quite a lot of the boys had experienced it two years before um going into the playoff places um based on goal difference and not um point like sort of win loss um and they ma- their semi-final then when we managed to make the final for the first time in 21 years, some of the most of the players weren't even born. Um, and just yeah, that was unbelievable experience for me. Um, yeah, those are my highs, I think. Uh, so you got 30 seconds each. Low point, <laughs> really short, snappy story. 30 seconds. What's your low light of your career? <laughs> uh, there are definitely hundreds of them. Um, I think. One of the biggest panics I had was um, my camera took a big tumble um, two days before the um, the opening game of the Olympics. Um, so that was a little bit of a ah, like panic kind of situation, but it got rectified. And two days later on the opening game, um, the uh, tower we were supposed to film from failed its safety check. Um, and therefore, we weren't actually allowed on the tower, but the games were about to start, and clearly, it's um, it's the Olympics, so you climb a tower. Yeah, um. uh, for me, um, I was lucky enough to go out to Aslan Shah with the senior men in 2018. Um, it sort of happened during my studentship, um, and I thought, yeah, this is going to be really exciting. I'm going to, you know, be there for a senior senior match. It's quite a big deal. Um, 
and I was not very well and subsequently missed half the tournament, which um, <laughs> to be in bed. So I couldn't even do the job that I was there to do. Um, and the added bonus of it being for a senior team was, was a, a bit of a low thing oh, for me. Um, we're going to finish there, guys. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Um, stay safe, look after yourselves. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you both really soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.